Amen. Excuse me. Well, good morning, church. Uh, for those of you who do not know me, my name is Daniel Moore. I'm one of the elders here at Risen North, and it's always a privilege to be able to come and speak with you guys on a Sunday morning, uh, something I do not get to do very often. Um, and it's really been God's great providence that we've been talking about the Great Commission over the last three weeks. Uh, for those of you who may need a refresher on what the Great Commission is, uh, it's one of Jesus' last commandments to his disciples and his followers. And uh, he gives a command. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And I think there are two reasons we can feel confident that we can carry out uh, this commandment. Um, We can look to the words right after, and he says, behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. For those of us who are believers, God has sent his Holy Spirit who dwells in us, he goes before us, he works through us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit as we go uh, throughout our days. Second, we can look to the words right before, where he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The very creator of the world, uh, the universe has complete dominion, power, and authority over everything he's created, both the seen and the unseen. I love how his power is described in Psalms 104, 1 through 9. Most of the verses should be displayed behind you or you can follow along in your Bible. Uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the and he makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they, at the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You boundary that they may not, so that they may not again cover the earth. All 35 verses of this psalm, if you were to continue on, just continue to display the immense power and authority that God has over all of his creation. And so not only does he have it over like the, you know, the, the big things, like the created things, um, he has it over our own lives. He has authority over our hearts. Um, we see this throughout scripture, a couple of different verses, Acts 1.8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then continuing on to Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. <clears throat> so just a quick example of... Uh, a personal story that I always like to remind myself of when um, I'm doubting God's power uh, or the power of the gospel to move in people's lives. Uh, Courtney and I, we had the opportunity to serve with Campus Crusade for Christ in China in 2008 and 2009. And uh, for those of you who don't know a lot about Crew, it basically their mission is to uh, share the gospel to college students, so they're, they're campus-focused. And so after Courtney and I graduated, we went uh, to China for that year Uh, to do the exact same thing. We worked with college students on the campus, shared the gospel, discipled those who believed. Um, And there was a lot of different ways that we came in contact with these guys. Uh, One of the ways is every Christmas, uh, A&M would send a team 
over to um, the university that we were at, and they would throw Christmas parties. So uh, they'd meet all these students, uh, they'd throw Christmas parties, they'd share the real meaning about Christmas. For a lot of these guys, this was the first time that they'd ever heard you know, about Jesus or about God, um, and they would fill contact information, like they would fill in like a little contact card if they wanted more information. So uh, one of these days, Courtney was following up with one of these contacts that uh, some of our friends had met. Uh, her name was Cherry. That was our nickname for him. Uh, everybody had a nickname. Um, also, I see people sitting in the back. There's plenty of seats up here if y'all want to come. Um, <laughs> welcome. Not that I'm calling y'all out for coming in. I'm just looking at Marshall and Amy back there. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, where was I? Cherry. So she comes to our apartment. She ends up bringing a, a friend that's a boy. And so I end up sitting in there listening to Courtney sharing the gospel with this girl. And the way we did it is uh, we had like these two sheets of paper um, that had two columns, Chinese on one side, English on the other side. And uh, we would read through them and we'd explain, you know, uh, you know uh, the gospel and the salvation that Jesus provides. And I'm sitting there listening to Courtney, and it's one of those moments where I'm like, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. Like, how is somebody who's never heard about Jesus going to look at two sheets of paper, and all of a sudden, their life has changed? Uh, But that's exactly what happened. Uh, Courtney gets to kind of like the meat of uh, what she's talking about, and like her whole demeanor changes. It's crazy. Uh, Tears wash over her face. She recounts like beautifully uh, what Jesus has done for her and something that only uh, uh, God could have done and placed in her heart. It definitely was not our words. Um, So God is powerful. He's at work all around us, and we have been commanded to join in that work. We are to make disciples, teaching them all that Jesus has commanded. We just read that he has authority heaven and earth, and that the gospel has, his, uh, has power to change those who believe. But I suspect that many of you um, in this room are like me the day that Courtney shared with Cherry, feeling like there's no way God is going to use me or use whatever tools I've been given or whatever efforts I might give to bring salvation to someone. Uh, if you're like me, you often walk around uh, just going through the motions day in, day out, trying to check boxes, uh, you know, trying to, to live life. You may give God a nod here or there, but for the most part, we walk around like we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, and this ultimately leads to a, a relatively joyless and fruitless life in the, in the Spirit. <clears throat> and so I feel like it's easy for us to acknowledge God with our lips, um, acknowledge his power, and maybe we can know like academically that God is powerful, but our actions say otherwise. And so I, the main way I believe our actions demonstrate this is, uh, and how we deny his power is in our lack of prayer. Uh, the common thing I hear a lot of people share, and this is true in my household as well and for me, is that um, we struggle to find consistency and meaning in our prayer life. So uh, spoiler alert, the main message this morning is we're going to talk about prayer. Um, I am story-oriented, so I've got a lot of stories in here, so um, if I get too long-winded, I can cut some out, but just be prepared for a lot of stories. Um, but 
I want us to be a church that, that prays for, for the lost, for this area, for each other. By not praying, we are stating that we believe cannot, that God cannot or will not work through us. The power of the living God is within us, and I want that truth to spark a renewal in all of our hearts and to believe that God will move mightily in you and in this church. So, story time. To encourage us, I'm going to try something that I found very helpful over the last few years. I like to look at examples in scripture and church history where God has moved in a few people and it sparked a big movement. So, we're going to do that uh, very thing. We're going to look at one example in scripture, one example in church history. There are many, so I'm just choosing some of my favorites. Um, and uh, we'll see how God works through the power of prayer. So we're going to start by taking a look at Josiah. Uh, some of you may know Josiah as the boy king. He was only eight years old when he became king of uh, Judah. So think about that, eight years old. I know many of you have kids that are that age. Uh, my daughter, Sully, is about to turn eight in November, and I can only imagine what life would be like if she was reigning over all of us. Uh, <laughs> She's an extremely picky eater. We call her a rabbit because she just eats like little kernels of lettuce uh, at dinner. So that's probably what our dinner would consist of, that and dry spaghetti. Um, but she'd make up for it by the fact that she would mandate probably an hour of the Great British Bake Off, or GBBO as we call it in our house, um, every night. So, uh, and we do do that every night. So, um, Anyway, but here, here we are. Josiah is eight years old. He's coming in to rule over... Um, uh, the kingdom of Judah, which were, was after some of the worst kings in, in Judah's history. So just a little bit about where the kingdom of Israel is at at this time. So uh, it's been many generations since um, Israel's split into two nations. We've got Israel on one side and Judah on the other side. Um, and they've all been ruled by various terrible kings um, throughout this point, sprinkled in with some good ones. And so Israel is already in the bad track. They've been, you know, God's had enough of them, and he's kicked them out into exile. Right after Josiah, Judah is going to be kicked into exile as well. Um, and Josiah's grandpa and dad, Manasseh and Amon, were like some of the worst kings that are talked about in uh, the history of Israel and Judah. Uh, Manasseh um, was said to do worse than the nations um, that God had just kicked out before he gave Israel the promised land. So they were really bad nations. Manasseh took it up a notch. He had, you know, there was sorcery, witchcraft, um, you know, worshiping these other gods. Um, he sacrificed kids in the name of these gods. Um, and he reigned for 55 years, and then Amon came on. Uh, he continued in those practices, and luckily, uh, his servants put him to death because it was so bad in the nation of, of Israel after only, or of Judah, after only two years. And so that's why Josiah comes in super young at age eight. So let's read a little bit about him in Second Chronicles. So Second Chronicles 34, two through three. And he, that is Josiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David his father. And in the twelfth year of his reign, began to purge Judah of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal, and metal images. So Josiah seeks after the Lord. He is near and dear to God's heart. 
and he starts cleansing Israel of um, the high places, which is where they were worshiping other gods. And at this point, the people were supposed to be in Jerusalem worshiping uh, God in the temple. And the temple at the time was in great disrepair as well. So Josiah said, hey, let's go repair the temple. And the people who he gave his command to repair the temple found uh, what was the book of Deuteronomy just kind of shoved into a corner um, and had been forgotten about for a generation. So if you guys remember anything in the book of Deuteronomy, it was, hey, this book shall not depart your mind, your lips, your heart. You should think about it day and night, teach them to your children. That book, ironically, was shoved into a corner and has been forgotten about for, for generations. So they bring Josiah this book of Deuteronomy, and in great distress, he tears his clothes, which I think is like Old Testament way of saying he was really distraught. Um, and, uh, and he starts reading the book, and he starts turning back to the law that they had forsaken. He, and Josiah gathered all of the people of Judah to read the book, and they made a covenant with God to follow after all of his ways, for, um, and they did throughout the rest of his rule. So after generations of corruption, God, showing immense mercy, uses Josiah to turn his people back to him. There was a cleansing in Judah of, uh, that had not been seen for many generations, and God's glory returned to um, Judah and Jerusalem at the time. And so we can learn a couple things from, from this story. First, our people need to um, have a zeal for returning, uh, a zeal for seeking God with prayer. We can see at the age of 16, so he's uh, eight years into his reign, it said he really started to, to devote himself um, and seeking after God. And so they didn't have the scriptures at the time. Remember, it was lost. And so what that means is he largely devoted himself to prayer. And I love how um, in Second Chronicles 34, 27, um, uh, it says, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God, and when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, you have humbled yourself before me and torn your clothes and wept before me. I have heard you, declares the Lord. So Josiah in humility says, I can't do this as a king, even in my position of power, I've got to turn to God in prayer. Um, and then there was also just devotion to studying the words of God. The, the, the book of the law was found. They, they turned to read the word um, and followed after his commandments. Uh, in 2 Kings 23-25, it says, uh, it talks about Josiah. It says, before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all of the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So he was a good dude. He turned to prayer, uh, and God, through just one person turning the entire nation, turned to him. So you might be thinking, okay, that makes sense. Uh, he turned to the Lord, but he was also king, so maybe he like commanded his people to turn to God. So um, while I would disagree with you, I think they all genuinely turn to God. Um, if you're in that camp, we'll share another story in post-New Testament church history. So we're going to fast forward thousands and thousands of years to 1857 right here in the United States. Um, and this is what is known as the Layman's Prayer Revival. So 1857, what's about to happen in U.S. history? Uh, Civil War is happening in 1861. So uh, the state of the United States is a little bit um, like 
Judah in Josiah's time, it's in really bad shape. We've got political divisions, people are hurting. This is uh, part of the Industrial Revolution, so people are leaving homes, moving to cities, um, away from their families. And uh, in New York City, uh, a guy gets a job there, uh, converts to Christianity, and he sees the people hurting, and he's like, hmm, what can I do for them? I'm only one person. So he's like, well, from 12 to 1 every day, people take lunch. What if we all got together and we prayed from 12 to 1? So that was his idea. Um, I'm not really sure how he did this. Uh, The story goes he put like 20,000 flyers. There's no Kinko's, I'm assuming, in 1857. But he put 20,000 flyers all around the city of New York um, saying, hey, on this Monday, this time, this place, let's meet and let's pray for an hour. Uh, And so out of... All the flyers he put up, the very first meeting happened, and six people showed up. So they, but they do, they, they, they pray. Um, they liked it. They said, hey, tell a friend, come back, let's meet the same Monday, or next Monday, same time, same place, uh, noon to one. The next week, 20 people showed up, and it just started to snowball from there. Week after week, more and more people started to show up to pray to where hundreds of people were taking their lunch um, and praying for the nation. Somebody liked it so much, they posed the, quest, they posed the idea, um, let's do it every day. So Monday through Friday, people were skipping meals and praying from noon to one. And so this started hopping from city to city, from New York to Philadelphia to Boston. It hopped down south um, all the way over to Dallas to where pretty much at this time, um, after a few months, there was a major prayer meeting in almost every U.S. city Right before the Civil War, people coming and praying for the nation, praying for each other, praying for their cities. Um, and I love the rules that they put in place because, I mean, obviously, how are you going to organize uh, that many people praying? So um, first, it was called the Layman's Prayer Revival because you could not be a pastor. Um, you couldn't be affiliated with a denomination. You couldn't be uh, um, part of a church. They just had somebody who was respected in the community get up and lead this movement. So uh, they were lay people uh, leading this movement. Um, It was punctual from 12 to 1. We are trying to instill a culture of punctuality at this church. So we are starting at 10 o'clock. That is really hard for me too. Trust me, I come in at 10.03 and there's still one person in sitting here. So um, that's why Marshall and Amy don't think there's any seats right up here at the front. So um, Anyway, uh, punctual, 12 to 1. Um, they would start at 12, end at 1. Uh, it started the same way every time. They would sing a song, read a scripture, say a prayer, and then they would start. Uh, third rule, there was no talking, only praying, which I know is uh, a big change for a lot of us. When we pray, we talk for 45 minutes and pray for five. Um, so what would happen is people would put in prayer requests when they came in, and the guy would... Uh, who was leading would pull the prayer request out of the box and say, hey, so-and-so is struggling with this, so-and-so is sick with with this, who wants to pray for them? Somebody would raise their hand, they would pray right there on the spot, they would move on. Uh, And then finally, there was no controversy allowed. So you couldn't come in and start a controversy. I don't know how that would look. I imagine that they had like bouncers outside of each meeting, but if you were there to stir up controversy, you'd be asked to leave. So Anyway, throughout all of this, uh, it was uh, believed that over a million people converted to Christianity um, in the U.S. at this time from one person who says, you know what, I can't help, um, but I can pray. So a million people converting to Christ. 
just for reference, in the U.S. at the time, I think there was like 32, 33 million people. So um, God moves in power when we humble ourselves and pray. Um, so why spend time this morning looking at these examples of people turning to God in prayer? First, I want it to be an encouragement that God hears and acts on the prayers of the faithful. Second, I want it to encourage us as believers in the body of Christ to not give up on prayer. I do think prayer is one of the hardest disciplines or rhythms of grace to maintain consistency with. Um, and listen, I, I'm a disciplined kind of guy. Well, I say that. I'm, I'm a program kind of guy. I believe in like checking boxes and different programs. Like if you tell me I'm at point A and you can get me to point B, uh, I'll sign up. Because I'm like, well, there's a tried and true program. Um, that is why I've bought into almost every fitness infomercial that is out there. <laughs> Worth it. Uh, but um, so I, a lot of times we say, well, my, my issue with prayer is lack of discipline. And it, it, probably, it probably is to some degree. Um, but I think if we look beyond discipline, we'll find that we're not disciplined in prayer while we might be disciplined in other things because we have either a lack of faith or a lack of humility. Um, I think it can kind of all boil down to those two things. And so what I mean is this. Somewhere along the way, if we're not praying, we either think that we need not from God, which is lack of humility, or, we won't, or God won't give, which is lack of faith. We often forget how desperately dependent we are on God Mark chapter 2, um, Jesus is eating with the sinners and outcasts of uh, society. And when questioned by the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, he said he did not come to heal the healthy, but those who are sick, right? He has not come to call the righteous, but to call the sinners. So who are we in this story? Uh, we don't want to be the Pharisees, who obviously are rejecting that they have a need for Jesus as Savior. And so we are the sick. We are the sinners. Let us not forget who we are, what path God pulled us out of, that we are on the path to destruction, and God in his just mercy and his grace pulled us from death and called us to be his children. We often walk around like we are the ones in our lives because of us, we are keeping our lives together. Maybe we have a house, a bank account, families, uh, food on our tables, our own efforts that we put our pride in. And so we just think, hey, we don't really need God. We don't have a need to pray. Um, and so we do not pray um, because we don't really think we have a need. And then looking at the other side, our lack of faith, maybe we're in a time right now struggling believing that God wants to give um, or that he won't need our needs. There are things that we've prayed for that maybe just haven't, like nothing's happening. We've been praying for a really long time and it just doesn't feel like God is moving. Um, or maybe there are things that we prayed for that the final answer just was not what we had hoped for or what we'd expected. Um, so here's where we'll go into a little bit of story time. Take a drink of water. So... You know, I'm, I'm right there with you, um, or have been with you. Um, if, you know, we're not quite sure that God is going to give us what we want, in many ways, Courtney and I are right there uh, as well. Um, for um, We are in the process of adopting our fourth son, Milo, from China. 
Um, he is a five-year-old with Down syndrome, and uh, we just cannot wait to meet this little guy. Um, we've been telling our kids about him, and they're excited, and so we're just um, really looking forward to that day. So next month will be two years since we initially put in the uh, paperwork to adopt him. And typically, it's about a six to nine month process or so to adopt from, from China, especially somebody with special needs. And so we were trucking right along. Uh, things were going pretty smoothly for the most part, hiccups, few, uh, hiccups here and there uh, for a little bit. But uh, we got pre-approval to go and to adopt him in February, which uh, from pre-approval, uh, typically you leave in two to three months. So we were expecting like April, May, 2020, we'd go and we, we would get him. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm not going to leave you, Courtney. Um, so anyway, obviously we know what happened in uh, March of 2020. The world shut down. Um, so that obviously stranded us from him and him from us. And so honestly, we are in a state where we have no idea. Like there's no end in sight, right, when we might go and, and get him. Uh, barring some, like, diplomatic miracle between U.S. and China, which obviously, um, if you guys read the news, is extremely unlikely. Um, it's going to have to be God who connects us. So we, we pray and we hope for that. Um, and so I know it's difficult to wait. Uh, <clears throat> so, <laughs> Gabe. Um, so I, there's an illustration that I... I don't know where I heard it from, uh, but it means a lot to me because my grandma used to, uh, well, does anybody, does anybody cross-stitch? I'm sure that's not where y'all thought I was going. Um, but <laughs> uh, my grandma, uh, Granny, she used to, she used to cross-stitch, um, and she lived down the street from us, and so we were there a lot, um, and she would sit at night in her little rocking chair, and she would, uh, would cross-stitch, um, and honestly, she would do it even like before her afternoon nap, and I was there when I was sick, and so I'd see her cross-stitch all the time. And so for those of you who do not know what cross-stitching is, it's basically like a blank sewing canvas, and you have like these little holes um, that kind of checkered board. The entire canvas are really small, and you basically just take thread and needle, and you create a picture. You cross-stitch a picture, like in one hole, out the other, and back over so it stays. And so my grandma, obviously she knows she can see the top of the canvas, and she knows what she's doing. She has very, she, you know, she's very methodical in what she, um, you know, what thread color she's using, where she's placing the thread, and uh, she can see this really beautiful creation starting to take place. Um, me, as the kid rolling around on the floor, we uh, just, you could look up and see underneath, and it's like a jumbled mess. It's just not different color strands going everywhere. Um, and if you don't see the bigger picture on top, it's really hard to see, like, what is she doing? Um, so in this analogy, uh, God is my grandma cross-stitching. And, uh, <laughs> um, but he has a bigger picture in mind. We walk around in our lives seeing what we perceive to be like this jumbled, knotted, discolored mess, and we have to remember that God has his plan in mind. He's taking us from point A to point B, um, and we have to trust that his picture is greater than ours. And I actually do have time to tell this last story, so that's good. I'm um, going faster. So I, case in point, 
of that, uh, one last story. Uh, I went to A&M, uh, and I had a really hard time freshman year, like meeting people, making friends. I know that's really shocking to you guys now, um, <laughs> since I'm a really cool guy. Um, case in point with that, I am, uh, I've got a little bit of, of an obsession with the, uh, the Legend of Zelda, and they just released a game on Friday. I, I've pre-ordered it. It's waiting for me at home after this, um, so y'all can see how cool I was, right? I'm sure some of you guys um, share in that obsession, maybe. Um, anyway, so freshman year, A&M, uh, I get involved in like the, I don't really know anybody from high school uh, who, who went to A&M, and so I'm, I'm there by myself. I get involved in BSM, Baptist Student Ministry, or uh, kind of dabbled in InterVarsity a little bit, um, and just really wasn't connecting with people. Um, and outside of uh, my roommate, I really didn't like hang out with anybody. So it was a really hard and lonely time, um, and this makes it sound so much worse than it is, really sad, but I would like go around campus and I would like pray to God God, send me friends. I need somebody to hang out with. Um, and so that was a really hard semester. Uh, so I came home. Uh, we were hanging out. Um, Nathan, Rebecca, Courtney, and I, we all went to high school together. And we're really good friends. So Rebecca was telling us uh, that uh, she was involved with crew at Oklahoma State. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm going to try that because I'm like not really connecting with anybody at these other organizations that I've been trying to get connected with. So... I go back, and uh, I walk into the first crew meeting, and I see a guy that I know um, randomly. So um, to make the story longer, I, uh, this guy, so for those of you who don't know A&M, we go to what's called fish camp before the start of the year where they, like, brainwash us and, like, all things A&M. Um, I'm still brainwashed to this day. I, I love the Lord, but my allegiance is to AM. Uh, and so uh, I met, I connected with this guy, Patrick Allen, and uh, we, <laughs> leaving, leaving Fish Camp, there's a Sonic on the way out of College Station, and it's still to this day super slow. I have no idea why people still go to the Sonic. I'm sure some of y'all know which one I'm talking about, but we stopped there to get a drink. My parents had picked me up from it. And so Patrick's parents actually pull up right next to us at this uh, Sonic, and so we just start talking for 30 or 45 minutes waiting for a drink. And uh, anyway, it was great. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm going to hang out with Patrick when I get to A&M. Well, I didn't see him for a whole semester, but I see him coming into this uh, meeting, uh, second semester. And, uh, and so I just stayed because I knew somebody. I had a friend um, who was there, um, and I love Patrick to this day. We, we ended up being roommates and and. and good friends, but um, I think about that, had I had, you know, God was answering those prayers all along, had I not, you know, had I stayed with BSM, potentially, Courtney and I would not have gone to China, Courtney wouldn't have shared with uh, this, this girl, Cherry, um, we wouldn't have had that China connection to uh, uh, maybe, you know, be willing to go and adopt our son Milo. So I do think about like the things that we think we most want. Uh, God, you know, has a better picture in mind. So I say that as an encouragement. Really long way of saying that as an encouragement. Um, so we need to acknowledge to God that He is the one who's in control. We need to confess where there's unbelief. 
um, and know that God can accomplish his work, accomplish work through us um, to reach his people. So let's get together and pray with one another as the body. Brett's going to get up here and do announcements here in a little bit. And uh, I mean, what better way to get together and pray with a body than to join a group? If you're not with a group, get involved. Go and tell people who you are, be vulnerable with people, pray together, read scriptures together. Um, we need to be praying for everything. Pray for your brother, pray for your sister, pray for the non-believer. Uh, James 5, 13 through 18, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and, he is, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray, for one, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth, and the earth bore its fruit. Guys, pray for your hearts, pray for your neighbor's hearts, your family's hearts, pray for those that are in need, for the poor, the needy. Um, most importantly, let's pray like we have the power of the living God behind us, um, because we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your spirit and dwelling us and moving in your power. Help us to believe where we have unbelief, God, that you can uh, that you can move in your own power. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Jesus, and I pray.